0: Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom and Don Lister of Anahata Yoga Center based in Leonsi, UK. Today we are talking to Andrew McGonagall. Andrew is a yoga and anatomy teacher with a medical background and Andrew now lives in Los Angeles which sounds very glamorous and is married to Doug. Welcome Andrew, it is wonderful to speak to you and have you um, online with us. We have been very excited about this conversation for lots of different reasons so welcome to from the heart
1: thank you so much thank you for having me it's lovely to chat to you both yeah it's great
0: good uh daniel how are you how how has your week been let's catch up with what's been happening in your world
2: i've been having quite a quiet week busy lots of clients which is has been nice definitely the, the shift the shift into coming out of lockdown, you know, has started to get people a little bit more invested maybe in looking after themselves. So I've, I've definitely seen a a, up, uplifting clients. I've actually been reading a really, really interesting book. um, Something that maybe even you don't know about, but when I, when I was younger, I used to work in um, London in fashion and I had access to quite a few quite famous people then in the fashion world, and one of them was this guy called Andre Leon Talley, and he is the creative director of Vogue, and I got to meet him a few times. and He wrote a book a couple of years ago, and then he's also I think it was on HBO originally, and then they've put it on Amazon or Netflix. But he did a he did a documentary all about his life. He is the most just amazingly creative man. Um, he's a, a, a black man, and he was actually probably one of the first black people to ever be integrated into this kind of high fashion world. And he was a very good friends with Karl Lagerfeld and Yves Saint Laurent, and he is most famous for um, being Anna Wintour's kind of sidekick at American Vogue and it's just the book is just it's so kind of it's complete escapism which is what I think is so amazing about fashion it's you know art and it's just taking you out of our mundane lives and giving you something really creative and really kind of something inspiring and I've always been really interested in him I remember when I met him he was a real character and a real presence you know he was like six foot something tall and very kind of not he's quite a big guy now but he was very kind of you know very kind of assuming and kind of you know you noticed him in the room and I remember just I was working for a PR company and I unfortunately got the job of walking him and Anna Wintour to their seat at a fashion show and I was just like, I don't know what to say I don't know what to do these are like the most influential people in fashion or in art you know they're just everyone knows them and I was like oh, you know like just really embarrassed <laughs> 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 and I was just reading this book Oh god, I was only like 20 I think they just didn't you know you just don't know what to do with yourself so yeah so that was a little 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 part of my past history, Um, but actually a really amazing book and really something that I would encourage people to read, especially in these times where it's good to have something that's quite escapist, but also something that is actually really relevant, that he talks really explicitly about the racism that he experienced in the fashion world and the fact that he never really was made to feel part of the fashion world until much much later on until sort of much more recently when he was actually given you know like proper jobs and he was really allowed to be able to say exactly what he wanted to say so really really interesting book to read and i'll recommend the documentary as well
0: what's it called
2: it's the the title of the book is called the on trenches <laughs> It's such oh, a good name it. for a book. I know, it's brilliant. I, love it. I can't remember the name of the documentary, but if you look up Andre Leon Talley, you'll find the documentary, and I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon in the UK. The
0: Ship sure, of amazing. Cruise.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah very that's not bad.
0: I'm going to read that. I'll borrow that after you well, finish. Well, I'll lend it to
2: you. Yeah, you don't need yeah. to buy it. <laughs>
0: no, I won't. Um, that's cool. That sounds good. The um, I've been. I watched last night um on Sky Arts the, a documentary about um Barbara Hepworth, the sculptor.
2: Yeah, uh, I, lo- like, I love Barbara Hepworth.
0: Yeah, I'm, 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 like, she, she's my alter alter ego. I should have been at Barbara Hepworth. Like, I've always been really interested in sculpture from very young age, and if I'd had Different opportunities in life I think I probably would have gone to art college and, and studied sculpture I just love it and I kind of watched it like I was actually had a tear in my eye watching it because it was like you're living my life it's not fair just it was incredible and the, the story about her work and her ethos of how difficult it was for her when she was younger because you know back then women weren't allowed to sculpt that wasn't well not so much that they weren't allowed they weren't given those opportunities you know it was very much a, a men's club and also she's an introvert like myself, you know, didn't like being around people, people drove her crazy. She liked her peace and quiet and her creative space. So she had a gallery or an, a workspace in St. Ives in Cornwall. So, um, and I, I went there years ago when the kids were little, and they, they were, they had a really bad temper tantrum and they refused to go to this art gallery. So I didn't get to go. I hated my kids that weekend when we were in <laughs> I was like, you, why did I birth any of you I can't even go, come all the way to Cornwall sat seven hours in the car listening to the wheels go around on the bus with you lot and you won't even come into this one art gallery with me so I'm going to go back I'm, I'm decided when we come out of lockdown I'm taking a vigil up to St Ives probably by myself so I don't have to talk to anybody and I'm going to go um, and check out all of her sculptures and stuff she's, she's just incredible Absolutely incredible. So, yeah, that's what I've been up to this week. Apart from from all the usual stuff of, you know, teaching and getting locked out of everything and Wi-Fi going wrong and all the usual. I think everybody's sick of Zoom, aren't they?
2: It's quite funny, but we was actually, we had booked to go to St Ives in December. And the reason that we were going is because I've always wanted to go to Barbara Hepworth's house and gallery. And we managed Revers. to find a little oh, no. air. We managed to find a little Airbnb that was in the next street to her place, and then obviously we wasn't able to go. So,
0: ah, well, maybe we can go together. We do maybe we can.
2: Activities. We can do a little. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just have yeah. to promise not to talk to each other all the way down in the car. That's fine.
2: No, that's fine. That's all right. I can read.
0: <laughs> I don't, <laughs> Andrew, think, we'd, I don't think we'd
2: be
1: quiet. Do you. <laughs> no,
0: that is very true. Andrew, how are you? How has things been with you since we spoke to you last?
1: Well, look, I haven't, you know, been as highbrow as you two for <laughs> your art books and art documentaries. I've been basically binge-watching RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> so, which, look, let's actually, you know, I'll take that back. That You know, it's an incredibly creative show.
2: Absolutely.
1: There's some serious <laughs> art on there. So, yeah, actually, I'm going to rephrase that, and I'm going to say RuPaul's Drag Race is highbrow. Yeah. But yeah, um, you know, that's so that's I've been definitely binge watching that. Um I've been reading an amazing book, unfortunately I can't remember the name of it. I'm really bad at remembering names of books and authors, which is which is not great because I you know I love to also recommend. Um but it's a book all about the Comanche tribe who were basically um Native American tribe that became the first tribe to be properly on horseback and they basically are the are often referred to as the best kind of warriors of all time and they essentially stopped the spanish moving further north beyond um mexico essentially you know you know back hundreds of years ago so it's so i'm just totally fascinated by this book and it's beautifully written and I think it's just such an important part of our world history that I want to know more and more about particularly now because I live in America I think it's so important to understand the indigenous culture so yeah so that's been like and I will try to remember the name it's called something the I'm not even going to (laughs) guess what it is but I think if you look if you search um for Comanche tribe and the book i think it'll come up because it was up for quite a few awards when it came out so i think it was pretty well talked about back in the day
0: oh sounds so, yeah. cool so it's been when, man, yeah, amazing when you when you said they were the most famous the most famous or the most best warriors in the world my my mind immediately went did you watch game of thrones
1: yes <laughs>
0: yeah. who were, who were the, the warriors on horseback in game of thrones
1: oh my god it's <laughs> yes. gonna annoy me i know um
0: she was called the Khaleesi, and they were, oh, it's annoying. It'll come to me. They, they were pretty some,
1: fierce. Yeah, yeah this yeah, is I the kind of they, level we're talking about, yeah. I
0: think I'm <laughs> her, that was, they were a serious level of um warriorness. And, I, and I
1: wouldn't be surprised if they were somehow based off of the Comanche tribe. Like, that wouldn't surprise me.
0: Yeah, that's I, I imagine you're probably right. So, that was great. They were great books. If yeah, if no one's read those books, the Game of Thrones books were amazing, as good as the film, probably even better. Incredible. Anyway, as usual, we're getting, we should we need to do a separate podcast on um, shows and books that we read, Daniel. I think. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Which, I, I would which, happily come back on to talk about that so, yeah, we'd be, we'd back.
2: be we'd be going for the next 10 years. I've just I just want <laughs> to ask Andrew a very quick question. Um Drag Race UK, who you, who are you buying for? Who's your favorite?
1: Um Bimini. Me too. It's just so amazing and I just love the um I just think the representations, you know, as a as a non-binary person is so important. Um Absolutely. I think it's um I think that's really exciting um yeah I think I think it's been it's been a great cast I think I've really thoroughly enjoyed like every episode but yeah Maybe. Yes. and the song that they did the Ruru Ru Vision song I literally <laughs> cannot get it out of my head bing bang I know. bong I Amazing.
2: Know. We, my, my husband has it on all the time
1: <laughs> so good <laughs>
2: it's just like it gets in your brain <laughs>
1: And I, and I love that it, it charted, you know, it was in the yeah, top, four, top 25 songs of that week. And I just yeah. love how um, drag culture is also feeding so much into the mainstream, which is also exciting, but it's not, it hasn't so far diluted itself, you know, it's just becoming something that more and more people are interested to yeah, yeah. tap into and understand. So yeah, it's really exciting.
2: It's very, it's very interesting the difference between the, the UK drag culture, and the American drag, because um, what comes across from watching the programs is the American one is is a lot around looks and almost passing for a female or a woman, but actually yeah. the UK one is just it's all about the gags and the laughs, isn't it? And just yeah. about you know kind of this kind of real, real almost like sort of end of peer humor yeah is probably you know and and I can understand a lot of other countries might watch it and kind of be like I'm not sure I get this so much do you know what I mean it's kind of you know because the jokes are so fast aren't they and you even see RuPaul like um you know he has to keep asking doesn't he what does that mean what's you know I won't repeat some of the words that they say but what what's that piece of slang about a penis you know yeah completely
1: (laughs) But I think I think it's been just as popular as the U.S. show. I think it has a huge following, particularly here, because I know that friends talk about it. And yeah, um, it's really fun how that all, like, translates. Also, like, I think that people are like, oh, it feels like I'm learning a new language.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah. um,
1: but also the British sense of humour is so famous, isn't it? If you think so many incredible shows have come through the U.K. and Ireland that I think people always... Warm to that, even if they don't fully understand it the first time round.
2: You know, absolutely. Yeah, I did say to my husband, it feels like they should put subtitles up, yeah,
0: <laughs> it's kind of,
1: you know, so people get a gist of what's going on. You know, <laughs> yeah.
0: Is um is Gemma Collins on this one?
1: She has been on it, yeah, as a guest. So they do every. season of RuPaul um, they do a what's called the snatch game competition and basically it's like blankety blank you
0: know that I used to
1: love as a kid and Gemma Collins was on um, that I believe is that right yeah
2: she was a she was a uh, she was the person um, they asked the question to you know and then and then they ask it to the panel but the panel are all drag artists but they're impersonating their favorite famous person
0: oh okay. so cool. so you had
2: like one of them was um jordan another yeah, one was so miriam good. margulies um i'm trying to think who else there was now i can't remember but yeah uh,
1: oh kath from kath and kim that's,
0: that's right. Really yeah.
2: yeah. Oh my God, Kath, and Ka- Ka- Kim. God, oh, that yeah. is back. Look at boy. Look at boy. And, the, and the, se-
0: <laughs> the season before they
2: had um, Donald Trump and Margaret Thatcher, <gasps> which was so just. This- it was uh, honestly, if you don't watch Drag Race and you want to see something that is probably the funniest bit of comedy ever, watch that. It's just.
1: It's like a spitting image on drugs. <laughs> Amazing, and they have, they have their own spin off show now, which yeah. I've just watched, which is really fun. So well done.
0: Sounds really cool. Yeah. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna, I did go through a phase of watching the drag race, and then I just got a bit like, Oh, stop being horrible and mean to each other. And I don't know whether that's part of the culture, I'm just in it, I don't know, but I just it started to upset me, so I stopped watching. It.
1: It's that's a big part of the editing because there's also a separate show that's tagged along, which is called Untucked where it's behind the scenes it's more like the green room and you really actually see them in a different light you see them bond and help each other and support each other so i think that Mm -hmm. there's definitely an element of that bitchiness that comes with the culture but i think there's also this huge like sisterhood which is really beautiful Mm -hmm. and it's basically a family literally like a chosen family
0: oh i love that
1: yeah, that's one of the reasons why I love it so much because you see the growth and you see the connection and the support and the community that they build around each other, and it's really quite magical. And
2: I think you know, it's one of the few programs that has really kind of represented the effeminate side of the gay world. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know that was seen as such a such a kind of a stigma around you know being effeminate. And now, actually, it's lauded and celebrated, isn't it? You know, in its own yeah. way. And actually, I think that, for me alone, was such a massive thing to see that being on mainstream TV. Yeah. Whereas before, it was always kind of you know the the effeminate gay person was always ridiculed.
1: Yeah. Well, did you, did you or ever the, watch the femme or the brother blue of the line? joke? Yes. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, And it was PC Goody was the super yes. camp. I was called PC Goodie at school. That was a way of like bullying me. And I absolutely hated it, obviously, because at that time I was still coming to terms with my own Mm. sexuality, sexual orientation. Um, And yeah, that's been, so it'll be interesting to see if that now changes with, with the shifting generations, because actually being camp was something that is celebrated as it should be. You know, <laughs> instead yeah. of something that is used to kind of ridicule someone else. But look, kids will always be kids, won't they? Absolutely. They'll always find something. <laughs> yeah, but they're not going to row with a fierce drag
2: queen, are they? <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> but you but know, you know, you know. Even like my kids. I mean, they're the youngest is twenty now. But when they were at school, they They all had friends who were gay, and it wasn't a thing. Like it just nobody cared. You know, yeah. it would, they didn't. Uh, you know, the they hung out together, they shopped together, they party together. And it seemed like I think the tide is massive. I don't know, because I'm not, it's not yeah. my community, so I can't comment. But from uh, from looking through the eyes that I saw it through with their friends, there was so much more, there seemed like so much more acceptance. Would you say that's the way things yeah. seem? Yeah, I, th- I
1: think so. In general, I think it's obviously not always the case. But I think, again, it comes down to representation. And I think, um more and more gay people um or lgbtqi people are represented in the media and in shows and i think um you know when something becomes more familiar it becomes less scary you know i grew up in northern ireland in the 80s and i didn't know one out gay person until i no moved to university at the age of 18 19 i literally did not know a single person so it was wow. so foreign and um yeah so it was such a different time you know and i remember at 18 queer as folk came out and i know that everyone's now talking about it's a sandwich i'm yet to watch because it's come out later here in america so we're going to watch it soon but from is it russell t davis is that yes, right yes that's right. right yeah no queer as folk came out when i was 18 i was at, in sick form and it was like it felt like the biggest thing culturally that had happened to teenagers in a long time this shows something that everyone was talking about you know gay culture and um, yeah so i think i just you know I'm, I'm excited to see a change because i i you know gay kids lgbtqi kids deserve um you know to not be picked on and oh, hopefully yeah. with more and more representation um that will happen less and less i hope
0: mm. yeah yeah yeah, I, I really, I, I really hope so too. I really, I really hope so too. So, God, we could talk just about that, but that's not why you're here to talk. That's not what you're here to talk about. <laughs> another time, another time. I've so I have so many things I actually want to say about that, but let's move on. <laughs> so let's, um, let's talk about why you are here. So could you tell us in brief what it is that you do so about yourself and how it is that you came to be doing what it is you do?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I talked about going to uni at the age of 18, 19. I went to medical school. Um, I was very high achiever, very academic at school. I loved science and I loved being, I loved working with people and, um, you know, that medicine felt like the natural choice. And I think very quickly, on my journey through medical school, I kind of realized that it wasn't quite the right choice for me for many reasons. I think you have to have the right personality to be a doctor. You have to be pretty thick skinned to deal with all the stress. And it's like super, I just have so much respect for people that do that as a career. And, um, you know, to cut a long story short, I, I did graduate as a doctor. I worked as a doctor for a brief period, but it was affecting my mental health so much that I quit. And I didn't have the luxury of knowing what I was going to do next. And a lot of people expected me to know that because I was stepping off this conveyor belt and people were like, oh, you must know what you're doing. I didn't know. So, Daniel, we have something in common. I also then worked in fashion. Oh, really? I So I um, moved to Australia um, basically just to stop people asking me what I was doing with my life. I was like, well, I'm traveling. <laughs> but I basically moved to Australia and I ended up working for Paul Smith, the British fashion designer yeah. in Australia. And I worked... Um, they had a small satellite office and I worked in wholesale sales and I had got into meditation um, at university as a coping mechanism for stress. And it was probably one of the most profound things I'd ever done. It would just, it literally changed, like it sounds cheesy, but it literally changed my life that from the first practice. And then in Australia, I got hugely into yoga. Yoga was massive. It still is massive there, but it was, you you know, Australia, it seemed back at that time, I'm I'm thinking like 2006, um, yoga was huge there and I got massive into yoga and I had an epiphany one day after years of practicing that, okay, I'm going to become a yoga teacher. And I'm very much, that's my personality. I'm very much like, okay, if I have an idea, I'm going to make it happen. So I ended up moving to London and um, leaving the world of fashion and trying to become a yoga teacher. And then that was it. And then, you know, this is now 12 years later. And what was great was I slowly started to build up my yoga teaching. I became a a massage therapist. And then when I was um, back on one of the massage therapy courses as... um, you know, helping the tutors basically out. Um, someone said to me, I, they knew about my background. And they said, why are you not teaching anatomy? And I just, I was like, I've literally never thought of that. <laughs> like, it's so obvious. Why did I not think of that? So, so really, for, um, you know, while I've been teaching yoga throughout the last 10 years, really a big focus for the last six years has been teaching anatomy to yoga teachers. And it's been super rewarding. I've been able to, you know, come full circle, Use on that medical background. Um, it's something I really love and really passionate about it. And yeah, it's been super exciting to get to be really creative. Um, I've created loads of really wonderful projects that we can talk about. And yeah, so that's where I'm at now. So very very exciting journey, you know. In in terms of the anatomy
2: training that kind of gets offered a uh, 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 yoga yeah, yeah. teach training, it's pretty minimal, isn't it? <laughs> Considering yeah. that actually the, the basis of, of the yoga practice or most people start with asana and the physical yeah. before moving yeah. into the more subtler realms of the practice. And would you say that the, the courses that you are now offering kind of give people a, a sort of extra step up to understand anatomy in a more
1: applied way to the yeah. yogic practice? definitely. So I, that is my, one of my roles I feel is to like make you make anatomy come to life and to fully, um, relate it to the yoga practice. So everything that I teach on my courses is related to yoga. If we can't really relate it, we don't really talk about it. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's been really fun to do that. And I think, yeah, so what's exciting is that, um, you know, I'm now able to teach on quite a few, um 200 hour trainings which is a really exciting mm. part of that but then also loads of teachers come to me at some point along their journey to um just either revisit their anatomy or they might feel like they have to kind of start from scratch which is completely fine so yeah so it's exciting you know just to basically ha- have these different offerings to different people along their different parts of their paths for whatever they you know would and helping them Reach the goal that they that they need in that moment. So yeah, so it's been it's really rewarding. It's been wonderful.
0: Do you um do you feel like having a medical background informs the way you teach in some ways more, not just in terms of the you know the human body and the anatomy, but like globally in terms of like well being. Do you feel like that informs the way that you you know hold the class, hold the space, offer the practice? Yeah.
1: I think it has. What was interesting is that when I started to teach anatomy, I basically had to revisit it all because at medical school, I really felt that we were learning anatomy through the lens of disease and illness. And actually, you know, I was wanting to come at it from a different angle, from a different perspective through wellness and wellbeing and how we can, you know, um, apply this to basically reaching our potential or reminding ourselves of our potential. Um, so, yeah, so, so it's been an interesting journey, but I think What my medical background has allowed me to do is to think critically Mm. so it's it's allowed me to question things that i've been taught because so often we don't do that and i think also part of our culture maybe it's about being british i don't think we question enough we Mm. you know take things as like fact, and actually we also have to take responsibility for doing the work to Mm. to understand where where these things come from i think it's you know imagine that you repeat something 10 times in class as a teacher. And then a student comes up to you at the end and says, oh yeah, I noticed that you say this a lot. You know, why do you say that? And you go, oh, because my teacher says it, Mm. you know, or because I heard it on YouTube or because it says so on Wikipedia. I I think, you know, that's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity to, to impart knowledge. And it's also a missed opportunity to build a trusting relationship. So I think it, so it's allowed me to question what it is I say as a yoga teacher and what it is I do as a yoga teacher. So one of my main philosophies is the, the why informs the how, mm. you know, so why am I teaching downward dog today? And it, that allows me, to, it informs the, the, the way that I approach teaching it. So that, so that's been a big thing. And then it's obviously the medical background has then given me the confidence to teach anatomy. Cause I think that can be quite a daunting topic so um you know i don't use a lot of anatomical language in class i would show off and talk about you know the the greater trochanter and this and that but um it's definitely just allowed me to step back and maybe look through different a few different lenses so i'm, I'm kind of really grateful
0: i know when i was when i i was thinking as you were saying that when i did my trainings early on um well, millions of years ago i i remember teacher asking us to do things and i would i would always want to say well why why would that hmm. why would we do that but i didn't dare say it because i kind of yeah. feel like this good like he was an older man and he was you know big beard and you know i mean he was a pretty incredible guy i'm not taking that away from him and yeah. if i'd asked him he probably actually would have come up with a good answer because he, he was very bright but i never felt like i could like yeah. you know when we were doing analoma for loma for instance and we we're holding the breath and stuff i was thinking really I'm not sure this is very good for you or you know just loads of stuff you know and also back then you know you weren't really invited to teach alternatives that didn't happen like if you can't do it there's something wrong with you yeah Mm. and And I'm
1: so pleased that's changed or is changing you know (laughs) thank thank goodness yeah I mean I I was
2: going to say it definitely is on the change however you still you know You still, all the time I notice, going to a public class or at the moment an online class and being given a cue to align your body in a certain way and actually you think, well, that's not relevant to me because I know actually my body quite likes to do that on certain days and other days I might not want to line up my knee in alignment with my ankle. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's very... Is difficult because when you're teaching you're trying to find a middle ground aren't you to be able to teach the groom so you need to yeah. give safe options however what was lacking in the past was any kind of ability to explore it yeah. was do it do it this way and that's the way that it needs to be done whereas actually the, exactly. invita- the invitations now are around we'll see how that feels yeah you know, notice what it's like after your yoga practice does it affect other things that you do in your day does it affect you know how how does the the ripple effect of your yoga practice affect yeah the rest of and your it's life? so
1: different isn't it such a different approach and i think that when i'm when i am running trainings even whether online or in person um you know it's natural for a lot of shame to come up because basically people are like oh my god like you know like for like you know just as an example you know so many teachers say oh you know in tree pose you know don't place essentially don't place your foot against your knee to protect your knee and we can talk a little bit about like fear-based language you know if that comes up but you know when we break that down we realize actually in you know, 99% of cases it's actually completely fine to place your foot against your knee and also that you know using the word protect can actually potentially cause harm because people end up feeling that their body is fragile when it when in most cases our bodies are not fragile. And I think there's a natural shame that comes up. Oh my God. But it's, you know, we have to realize that, you know, what we do is we, we do the best that we can do in a given moment based on our experience and based on our, the knowledge that we currently have. And I think it's just about being open to refine you know so i can look back at old old videos of me teaching maybe five years ago and i cringe but i have to stop myself and go no like that's this part of my journey like we can't all walk out of a 200 hour training and be highly experienced yoga teachers like you have to learn and grow and adapt and it's just all about the openness to learning i think that's important
2: mm. and i think what's you know what the challenges for so many especially new yoga teachers is they might step away from that 200 hours and have a sense of their body, but they're not working with other bodies because actually what happens at the moment, which is something that, you know, all of us within the yoga industry need to look at, is there's a certain type of person that will go to yoga because of background, because of money, because of identity, you know, and actually... We're not getting other shaped bodies or bodies from mm-hmm. other other different ethnicities or backgrounds or experiences so you're teaching a class to essentially a group of people who are quite similar to you yeah you're, or you're being taught how to do that and and this whole thing about making yoga accessible now and actually breaking down the kind of stigma around a, who gets taught yoga, and then B, you know, who gets to do a t- yoga teach training, who has the funds and the, the yeah. time to be able to do that,
1: you know. Completely. And then and then how are we marketing? You know, what images yeah. are we using? Um, you know, the language that we're using in class, um, this, the spaces that we're teaching in, even the accessibility of those spaces. I realized that I was teaching... Ana- these anatomy courses in a studio and they always gave me the upstairs space it had really steep staircases and I was like just that fact is actually limiting my course you know like stopping a whole group of people mm-hmm. um based on physical ability from coming to my course and I was like this is not right and I've just made a decision I can't I can no longer use that space. So I think it's just about continuing to question that, you know, question everything that we do. And I think we're all part of it. You know, we've, in a way, you know, not not often consciously, we've all been kind of part of the problem. And also we're, we all have to be part of the solution of kind of, you know, unraveling that as well. And, and yeah, I think accessibility and inclusivity is so important. And I think it's not just, it's not enough just to to make yourself believe that you're an accessible, inclusive teacher. It's about following through, you know, in each moment and actually making sure that you're doing your best in that moment to, to be those things, you know.
0: Can I, can I just backtrack just a little bit? I just want to yeah. pick up something that we spoke about. You know, you used the word fear a little while ago. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking about, like, All of my trainings were very, after my, when I came out my first lot of training, I felt like I actually know nothing, but I knew a lot, but I also knew nothing. And, um, I felt that the part that was missing for me was the anatomy. So I went and did, um, I studied with Iyengar teachers. I didn't do the Iyengar teacher training because I found it too rigid. I felt like it was an occult. Mm And so I was like, I'm not going down that road. It's too stiff, It's too. it's got to be this way. But I found a lot of the technical stuff really helpful. Um, and then I did Pilates training. I've done loads of anatomy. I trained a the cranial therapist. And so I know about bodies. Um, and in my classes, for a long time, it was very much about the structure and the form. So it's like our feet go here and we keep our joints aligned one above the other and we don't put things beyond the range of movement. And, and, and then over time, I've learned to challenge that idea because actually we're not forming unstable dynamic movements. We are quite stable. We're, hopefully we're working in a mindful way. We're placing our bodies in a way that's sensitive and careful to us. But I like the way you spoke about like, being careful around the language and what that could bring up. But also, and I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that if you could, but also I'm thinking like I fail and still do sometimes feel fearful about doing something different in case I get it wrong. And I think it can be a big challenge for a teacher. We, the whole world is opening up on so many layers. It's like we're being thrown at, like we've got to change our language around gender and identity, yeah. we've got to change our language around how we offer our classes, our classes have got to be accessible. And I, am, I actually heard a really interesting podcast today. I was, I'm a little bit obsessed with spirituality at the minute. And they were saying, you know, Matthew Rominski was saying, actually, I always say on my classes and I don't try to make it everything. So it is for this and this is who it's for. And if, you, if it's not right for you, it's fine. Let's find your class that is right for you. And I thought, I, I quite like that. I like that idea that, you know, we don't try to be everything to everyone. I'm saying a lot of things, but can you can you speak yeah. a little bit more about about that?
1: Yeah, I think there's two there's like two schools of thought on that because some people are like, yeah, look, I'm just being very clear about what it is I'm offering, and I'm you know, and just as you said, like this class is for this group of people, and if and if it's and if that doesn't work for you, we'll find you something, but you know, at the end of the day, I don't, I just,
0: I think I think he may. I think he kind of meant like it was a dynamic flow class, for instance. Like, And I yeah. teach dynamic flow. And I always say to someone, you kind of need to get up and down off the mat because it is a little bit pacey. But I also teach this other class, which is much slower and we've got lots of props and that might suit you a little bit better. Because do you understand what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, no, I do. And look, there's no I don't think there's a very clear right or wrong with this at all. Mm-hmm. I think it's just about each of us doing the work to become really clear about what it is we're offering and you know again are we doing the best to like serve our our communities and our students um yeah I think there's there's also a school of thought where it's like you know yoga should be accessible to everyone Mm. and and that it's really not good enough just to say well you know this practice is for these group of people Mm. so yeah look I don't know I think you know I'd I think each to their own. I think, um, as you say, this is also a reasonably new movement, or it's it's new in terms of like how widely spread it's becoming. And I think a lot of us are still trying to, you know, get our heads around that. And I think one of the most important things is that we're having these conversations and that this is yeah. being discussed and dissected, and you know, hopefully, things will just become a bit more clear with time. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting, it's a it's a controversial topic. It's a very complex kind of multi-layered topic. So
2: I I, I think just I I've taught a group of yoga practitioners who are probably the kind of to put it politely, the, mo- the most eldest group of yoga practitioners within a group. There's a, there's a, um, and I got invited to teach them and we were talking about this and they said, well, when we learnt yoga back in the late 60s, early 70s, when many of them first started, they said yoga was accessible. Yeah. It was, well, if you can't do that, just wait or I'll give you something else, you know, but I think the pace of it was so much slower. Yeah. What I think has happened is, you know, this new, there's a new style that, you know, has become very popular in the last sort of 20, 30 years, which is a much more of a physical style of yoga. And actually when I taught them and I labeled it a therapeutic yoga class, they were like, well, this is just how it was, 40 50 years ago. You yeah. Know?
1: So maybe there, there was
2: a lady on the chair, there was a lady standing, there was a man on the floor, you know, and we all did similar sort of things. It was yeah. just, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a problem about where you did it. It was just around what fitted around you best. You know, and I yeah. think and
1: and, may, and maybe the question is if it's not accessible is it yoga? Mm. You know, That's I'm not I'm you know, I'm not saying that I have the answer to that, no, no, but, tough. you know, I think that's a really good point, Daniel. I think, you know, just because something has become super popular, like a vinyasa flow and look, don't get me wrong. I enjoy going to the, doing the odd vinyasa flow class, but it's like, you know, I think sometimes we become so fixated about our definition of yoga. Like for me, it used to be, if I'm not practicing ashtanga self-practice six days a week it's not yoga and now it's yoga means something completely different to me you know and some that just comes with mm-hmm. age and wisdom i guess but um you know so i think maybe it's also breaking down that breaking down mm-hmm. again like what, what does yoga actually mean to us and,
2: and, yeah, and, um, I, and I,
1: I think that's the natural evolution
2: of yoga isn't it if you have it in your life for a long time parts of it are going to become less relevant because we evolve we change you know when we're younger we probably do enjoy asana more because you know physically we want to move our bodies more and then as we start to change and our bodies start to physically change we need to change the way that we approach our practice and we might need to do more strengthening or we might actually find that you know through the practice of yoga for a long period of time, we feel quite strong. And that actually allows us then to be able to come to the pranayama and the meditation. So it's yeah. kind of like that long longevity journey, isn't it, of being yeah. open to where it takes you Completely. and it being fluid. You know, it doesn't yeah. need to be, I do this for a set period of time and then this and then this, you know. And I think that's the way yoga used to be taught, wasn't it, in a very, very kind of, you know. Yeah do this for so many repetitions and, you know, this will sort your high blood pressure out and do this, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, and we know that's not true because actually yeah. everyone's experience of medical conditions are different in themselves. So, you know, applying a cookie cutter style yeah. to a practice that's completely individual doesn't work. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, completely. <laughs>
1: completely. And I think something that's come to mind is I remember teaching this yoga for stress class which in the day is just yoga isn't it <laughs> like what is yoga for stress but um and the feedback that i got from one student was oh i was bored and i, I my re- my reaction was that's fine like it's not my job to like entertain you like i'm not going to sit there and juggle at the front of the class and i think the pr- like, kind of part of the problem is that i think In some ways, yoga has adapted to kind of keep people interested. Hmm. And there's music and there's lights and there's goat yoga and there's beer yoga. And they don't even get me started with all that. I think it's like (laughs) to be honest, it's like super ridiculous in so many cases, and it's just not respectful to the practice, and in many cases. And I think that's the problem. It's like we've in some ways we've we've lost hold of. The kind of traditional roots of the practice and we've allowed it to involve in something that's more like a bit poppy you know it's a more popular culture and I personally do I want to deliver something that feels authentic to me rather than focusing on what I think people want <laughs> and I think there's been maybe too much focus on that in general about oh, what do people want oh they want keep fit they want this they want you know high intensity and i'm seeing the pendulum start to swing in the other way again which is kind of exciting Mm. um but yeah but i'm definitely not there to entertain people
0: (laughs) no that's that yeah so i've i've had something similar happen in class of mine um as i've progressed over the years in my practice the elements are there's much less asana and more pranayama and meditation and and rest um much more much more it feels more balanced and the people who are kind of very on the living on the nerves, I would say maybe, or who are looking for something more stronger and physical. They've said that to me, I'm just finding it a bit boring. Like I'm like, well, if you're engaging in the practice, it's not boring. It's because your mind's going somewhere else and that's okay. And maybe this isn't for you anymore and that's okay also. But I, I would say to you, I, I, I really love this idea that you know you, you challenge the, the perceptions of what people think yoga is meant to look like. And yes. What, what shape a, 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 an asana is meant to take, and what I was trying to maybe not explaining very well was how would you st- say to a teacher who's in that place where they're suddenly having to think about actually maybe I don't say to that person, Warrior Two is this heel in line with that instep, or your asana is here and you should be three and a half feet apart, and you know what What I, and they're terrified like well what do i say then and what if everybody's doing something different well, someone hurts themselves and then what will happen with my insurance like that's genuine stuff that i know some teachers are fearful of so what 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 would you say i mean maybe is that something you're covering your courses could you yeah in, in a way that?
1: look i think you know i think what's important like if i say we're let's use that example you know of of a warrior pose doesn't matter which version it is Look, you know you're in a way you're just as likely, someone is just as likely to injure themselves if you're literally offering one option for the entire group hmm. um, compared to basically using invitational language to allow people to like, explore and find a position that actually works for their body in that moment. Because we have this idea that if the if the knee isn't over the ankle um, we could cause injury, but if the knees above the ankle were safe, and actually that doesn't make biomechanical sense because basically you can, you can be in a warrior pose and have your front knee at a 90 degree angle, but you can be doing something really weird with your ankle and you can Mm. be doing something really weird with your hip joint and the resulting forces that meet the knee could be injurious. Mm. So basically at the end of the day, what I say about a million times during my courses is it's not what it looks like. It's how it feels. That's about the experience. You know, and there's a saying, and I think I've tried to find out who said this, and I, and I just wasn't able to. Um, it's like we we use yoga to get into the body, and not um, the body to get into yoga. Mm. You know, so it's just mm. constantly saying to people, it's not what it looks like; it's how it feels for the person's experience. So, what you could say is, you could say traditionally in Warrior Two, we we tend to place the knee above the ankle. You know, but what all, all often happens is people feel like they need to explain everything which we don't so then they go keep your knee above your ankle to protect your knee joint and not only is that false but it's fear-based so it's so we're all we're familiar often with the placebo effect which is when um you know for example if you're told that a smarty or an m&m is a high blood pressure medication and you take it for a week your blood pressure will lower yeah so we get a we get a a positive experience out of a um out of a positive almost idea of that experience, you know, and then the, but what we often aren't taught about is the nocebo effect, which is when we basically get a, a negative effect because we perceive something to be negative. Am I making sense? Hope yeah,
0: so. perfect sense. Yeah. Basically,
1: when when we use the word protect, we're basically telling our students nervous systems that they have to be on high alert. And then a student can be in Warrior and they can feel great, but they can glance down and notice that their knees move beyond their ankle. And they could actually experience pain in their knee as a result of that because they've been set up for a negative, they've been set up with a negative expectation. You know, so I think there's so there's so much focus when it comes to injury prevention and I think um, a lot of that stems from ahimsa, this idea of doing no harm. And what we don't often realize is that our language can inadvertently mm-hmm. cause harm. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that there's ever room for fear-based language in yoga. I just don't think it's helpful. And also we all come there with our own fears and anxieties. Like We don't need to be in a space where that's then subtly mm-hmm. kind of Mm-hmm. out of do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and
2: i think you know the, the confidence of the yoga teacher to be able to say well i don't know mm-hmm. all i all i can do is just offer you some ideas and actually there's there's the practice yeah i'm just gonna be here just to kind of offer suggestions ideas and some guidance exactly. rather than it being do as i do say as i say getting back into that kind of guru sort of culture around you know i'm right and you need to learn from me because actually i think this hugely disempowering for people because actually it's so that sets people up to be extremely traumatized because of the whole scenario around you know someone knowing more than you or being more important than
1: you yeah 100 percent. i think there's such great power and reminding yoga students of our role as a yoga teacher which is not to tell them what to do but basically to be there to offer suggestions and often reflect back what we're seeing you know um, and encourage that process and then also reminding people of really what the yoga practice is about you know and if we constantly reminded people that you know, the yoga practice is not but just about flexibility, which is, you know, there's big, there was a big study done in America, which showed that huge no, new numbers of people come to yoga every year. And the main reason is for flexibility. <laughs> and part of this is all the marketing that's been done showing these crazy yoga poses. People, oh, if, if I do this, I can become more bendy. You know, we have, we have to remind people that really that is not the essence of the practice in any way, shape or form. And the more we remind people about those things, the more likely they are to use the practice in a way that truly serves them.
0: As you're saying this, what I feel is just a sense of space. What I'm hearing is if we're Mm -hmm. making space for people to find the right shape, position, alignment, whatever you want to call it, for them in the moment, that takes a bit of time. Yeah. And it takes a bit of self care and self inquiry and a bit of confidence. And that can't be rushed. Yeah. And, not, and I and that means I don't know what I want to get out of my class when I come in or when I do my practice I don't ever rush. I like to take my time. I like to really feel into what's happening and so, and most people when they arrive in class like their life doesn't give them the opportunity to do that. So to come in a class and to be given the opportunity to have that level of self-awareness and self-inquiry and self-care is is kind of the point of it really, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And I think we have to stay true to that because, again, if we diverge from that and teach what it is that people want,
2: mm.
1: then it's just going to – we're going to continue down this path where the whole essence of yoga gets completely lost. Mm. But I think it's it's important that more and more teachers really – connect to that true essence of the practice, like, you know, you know, mainly through connecting what it is that we get from our own personal practice and using that, you know, as the the kind of guide. Um, and that, again, I that's what I witness happening now. I don't know if you guys feel the same.
2: Listen, I've, something I've really noticed is many, many, teachers now have had to give up jobs because there isn't so many to go around so i'm really interested to see now as we start to come out of this zoom world and we start to go back into studios and there's a bit more of a kind of a physical connection what yoga teachers are going to excel, are going to be the ones that have really embodied their practice and have given themselves that space. They haven't stayed on that rat run of trying to do 10 classes a day. They've in, they've got into their practice. And for me, it's going to be really interesting to see how those teachers start to kind of take their practice maybe to another level or their teaching goes to another level because they've used this time to give themselves some space. Yeah. Um, I think up until lockdown it felt there was just this almost like frenetic energy around how many classes people were teaching and it, you know, because there's such a problem with studios and classes just not paying the teachers enough for all the training that they've done so you've got this kind of, you've got this real problem haven't you with this sort of you know, internal issues that are going on within the yoga world as well and I Yeah, I'm really intrigued to see, you know, what's going to come out of when we emerge
1: from here. Yeah.
0: I feel like, um, you know, people that yoga like everything, if it if it just follows the old marketing um, treadmill, because it can be it can be like that for some for some schools, for some people. And they kind of, they get caught up in whatever's the current trend, you know, whether that be, let's talk about how good it is to be body inclusive. And then that's what it's all about that week. And then next week it's, let's talk about how fast we can burn calories. And if you do, you know, it kind of goes through that. And then there's all the other stuff that sits along with it, like the clothes that you're wearing and what mat you've got and who's your guru and who's your teacher and all all of that stuff. And and the practice is completely lost uh, because you're just following a trend. And it takes bravery and roots and a true personal practice to be able to bypass that. So you don't get caught up in the slipstream. And, and I think for me, I feel like I respect more the teachers that are maybe saying, you know what? I'm really quiet. I've not got many people in my classes or I'm taking a break. I know a lot of people said, you know what? I'm taking a break because actually my mental health isn't feeling good. I know what I need to do is dig deep and look after myself and the practice is going to be about me for now. Um, that, that feels a little bit more, a bit more authentic. And that's, I, I don't mean that to sound horribly judgy because we, are, we all are where we are and we're doing our best and all the rest of it. But the, our yoga practice can't be based on some trend. That, that yeah. isn't what it's about. And it isn't about following a particular guru because again, that becomes very linear and it can't be linear because no human being is ever one thing in one moment. You know How yeah. I am today is not how I'm going to be next week and next year and next month, is it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It makes me think again of me like first coming to yoga and practicing ashtanga, you know, six days a week. Mm. And I almost felt like there was almost this unwritten rule that you couldn't go for a run because it would undo this, this flexibility work that you'd be doing, you know what I mean? And it was almost like, so that, that was, I had this very clear definition and now, you know, I have this like very like diverse movement repertoire, you know, it's like, I, yes, I have my physical yoga practice. It looks very different, but then I, there's all these other things that come into play and it's about me working towards feeling the way that I want to feel as mm-hmm. well, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's, yeah, I think diversity is really important. And I right. think that's why it's exciting for people to try all these different styles of yoga, but also try Pilates and bar and different things because it all just adds to your toolbox so we've got loads more options to give to people because mm-hmm. none of these are, none of these movements are right. You know what I mean? Um, it, But it's just, that it's just a different way of trying things mm-hmm. and it just yeah. helps us to be creative then. And how wonderful to be able to gather all of
2: those tools that you've learned from all different modalities and different meditational teachers and, podcasts that you might have listened to and bringing that into a practice that feels really embodied for you yeah Rather and then that than makes it, us
1: unique as teachers that you know what i mean and i think that's a selling point it's like ta- it's like really tapping into what makes you unique as a person and a teacher.
2: yeah
1: i i really hear what you said about you know the ashtanga
2: was a wonderful practice for me at the time because i yeah. was really really struggling with um addiction problems I needed something that got me out and got me doing something for a long period of time before work so yeah. I then could sit in work. However, I left eight years ago, and I feel like it's only been a year since my body feels like it's recovered from that practice. Yeah. Wow. I, you know, I still, if I'm not careful, I've, you know, I've got injury in my neck from throwing my head back too much. I get injury in my sacroiliac joint on the right side from doing certain warrior positions that I I felt, and this was all me, it wasn't the teachers, it wasn't anyone, this was me, I need to strive to look like that picture in the book.
1: 100%, I completely... And
2: whatever anyone told me, I was like, no, I need to do that because that if I don't do it, I'm not doing yoga. So I fed 100% into that fear-based yoga practice. And, you know, it's took me a long time to unwind my body from that as well. Yeah. And it's been quite a painful process to go through. Um, you know, I agree with you, Andrew. I You know, I think it's about being able to think, you know what, this morning I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to go for a swim or I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to lie down or I'm going to do my yoga practice and any one of yeah. those things. As long as it's giving you what you need and it's tapping into that authentic place within you then you're doing your yoga
1: yeah and i talk about you know leaning in to what it is that you need in that moment you know and that's a skill that's something you have to develop but really like taking a moment to quiet yourself and go like what is it that i truly need right now and and then be kind of guided by that and that's been an interesting thing that i've tried to do you know during the last year that's been kind of crazy for most of us it's kind of each day kind of like try to like lean into what is it that i you know need today and um, i think there's definitely like privilege that's wrapped up in that that allows me to do that you know because not everyone has the space and the resources to you know to always do that but yeah I think it's important when, when we can do it. Yeah.
2: So um, Andrew, you've written a book. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the book that you've written? Yeah. So where it's available from and what's what's within it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I, I had a super busy year last year in 2020. It was always planned to be that way. Basically I had moved to America. I was waiting for my, green card and I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity where I had two different publishers reach out to me and basically want to work with me on two different projects so I had this already in the pipeline so I had already cleared my calendar for most of last year to basically write two books which is what I've done so um, when all the lockdowns happened my life didn't look that different. It just basically meant that I wasn't able to go to coffee shops and write, which I really missed, to be honest. Because I'm not as productive at home at all. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with that. I got a lot done when I was out of the house, and I didn't get much done. So yeah. So I had a busy year just because that was always planned. I just basically, I think, um, the reason I'm kind of saying it in that way is because I think last or over the last year, a lot of people felt pressured to be busy. Um, and I, and I don't want people, I don't want like my experience to make people feel bad that they didn't have like a super like prolific year. I just, that was always like in the pipeline for me <laughs> to basically get these projects done. So yeah, so it's super exciting. Um, um, the first book that's actually has just come out, um, mid-March, um, is all about supporting injured students. So it's a handbook that, um, dives into the whole topic um, and you know a lot of the themes that we've discussed during this podcast kind of are are threaded through the book but basically we um delve into each major area of the body we look at the anatomy of that area um we look at the common injuries and conditions that can affect that area we then look at the asanas that can be affected if you have an injury in a certain area you know so so how do you approach child's pose if you're dealing with an ankle injury yeah. And we, we kind of explore that and look at ways to make yoga accessible to the injured student or the student with a condition. And then we also look at ways to essentially optimize the health of the different regions of your body. So it's really, really exciting. It's not something I imagine people will, re- will read cover to cover. <laughs> it's probably something that will send you to sleep at night, but I'm hoping that it's going to become this like really wonderful resource for teachers and and, and trainees that they can kind of keep revisiting Mm -hmm. and my goal is to make it kind of recommended reading on teacher trainings that's what my ultimate Mm -hmm. goal is so I'm kind of imagine it's going to be kind of like a slow burner so it's been really exciting it was a labor of love it you know it's you know it's something that's taken a couple of years to like truly come to form and yeah, I'm super excited. And then I'm just wrapping up a second book, which is all about yoga physiology. And it's going to be out, hopefully published later this year. And it delves into all the systems of the body and really looks at the research um, that's been done on how yoga impacts those systems. So it's, um, it's been a really, really fun project. I've learned a lot as well. Yeah, so, so I'm really excited about those. And then the third thing that I've, the third big project that I've had on is creating a 30 hour online anatomy training I love teaching in person. And I spent so much time and energy basically trying to replicate that experience online. And it's been so amazing to get feedback. Some people actually have said that they prefer the online experience because they're able to take it at their own pace. They're able to revisit stuff. They don't feel like they're holding up a group. They they still got a lot of time to interact with me. So we do some live sessions. So yeah, it's been really fun. I've been really blessed to just to have these projects to kind of keep me busy, be creative, and um yeah i'm excited i'm excited to put all this stuff out out there now and you know really i just want to serve people i want people to feel empowered in their teaching i want them to feel confident um i want them to feel heard because i feel like i've answered a lot of questions that i commonly have been asked over the over the past few years so yeah so it's exciting to put that all out there you know a little bit scary at times but yeah
0: it sounds incredible. I, I'm really excited to get the books um, because it, it's kind of like um, when I'm teaching, I often will go back through old YouTube videos and I, will, I must have, I don't know, about 60 yoga books looking for options for things to make things more accessible and safer for people to do. And I'm very much of the opinion, like Daniel, if someone says, how can I do this? I will say, oh, I don't know, but I'll find out because I really want to yeah. know. Because I just so believe that the practice of yoga is life changing for people. And not, not just the physical practice, just the intentionality that comes when we bring ourselves to any element of the practice. And what, you know, the fact that we're giving ourselves that time and space and carving out, you know, some time to really take care of ourselves. So to, to to be able to step into a class and not feel that um, it's accessible for you would be, would be tragic, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah so, so it's great. yeah
1: so i'm excited you know to put this out there as a resource for people and i really hope it helps a lot of people
0: yeah well we will be um sharing it extensively on our channels um thank
1: you so much
0: make make sure that you know the um various students and a lot, a lot quite a few of our, our students at the minute are training as teachers or have just come mm. to the end of their training so i know this is a kind of resource that they're really going to really going to enjoy
1: and look let's face it you can never have enough yoga books can Ah. (laughs)
0: you
1: absolutely we find that i just collect them
0: Uh and it doesn't
1: it doesn't again it doesn't mean i read them all cover to cover but it's just so good to you know i'm always like dipping in and out of things it's just so lovely to have that little kind of library at home of things that 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 make me feel supported
2: I put them by my bed sometimes and hope that by osmosis,
1: that might
2: go into my brain.
1: (laughs) I I don't know if that's evidence-based. I don't know if there's research around that, but you know, I would keep trying it. Maybe you need to have it under your pillow and then it's more likely to absorb. (laughs) I've,
2: I've ended up now. Um, having to move my yoga books into another room because they were taking up too much space. So yeah, oh, yeah. I've got i I've got a designated room now that my yoga books all <laughs> are housed in. And <laughs> <That>
1: so <sounds laughs> nice. like loads
2: <laughs> and loads and loads. And many that I just haven't had a chance to read, or I buy them and then I kind of like you've said Andrew I dip into them a little bit because yeah. there's maybe a chapter that I'm not like, oh, I really need to know about that but I don't get the chance to read cover to cover and actually I don't think I've ever read a yoga book cover to cover ever. Yeah. I think you know that's fine yeah yeah I think you kind of go there you take the bits that you need but actually what would be great for us is to have a resource at the studio that we can refer to and just be like oh you know Andrew says to do this let's give it a go it must be true if Andrew said it
1: but the the other thing that's been really lovely is that this is a very very much like reference book like oh my god I've lost count there are literally hundreds and hundreds of references so I try to back up you know you know particularly when it comes to the anatomy and the the pathology I try to back up you know pretty much everything that I've that I've written in there with um, research and that yeah. you know that took a long time but I think that's really really important for Absolutely. me particularly on my journey I just really want it to be evident like an evidence-based
2: you know no approach. no 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 kind of shade towards the um yoga books that were written earlier on but you know there's a lot of ill evidence yeah. there? towards you know why would a headstand you know help your high blood pressure for example you know and and it's it's interesting
1: because you know yeah there's there's basically very very limited research on that and -hmm. who knows like we might we might do tons of research in the future and realize that there there is more of a benefit but you know i think yoga in general can help high blood pressure which is great but there's very little research when it comes to like specific poses and specific benefits so i think we just need to be a little bit mindful of that sometimes you know it's more of a general thing that's great and there's also great research that tells you that irrespective of what style of yoga you practice we get similar benefits from it you know from a from a physiological point of view from a psychological Mm. point of view so you know spiritual point of view obviously so that's kind of exciting also to to realize isn't that interesting because actually you know what what is that what is that thing that is happening you know yeah and yeah. most of it's to do with nervous system you know at the end of the day it's yeah. how you know we're we're changing the the way we attach to your mind <laughs> we're observing yeah. our mind instead of feeling that it's that that we are a mind and then all the amazing changes that happen in the brain from practicing yeah. Yeah. yoga you know and obviously a lot of that is linked through the breath but yeah so it's um yeah and
2: isn't isn't that so interesting to kind of you know, to reflect upon, you know, each of us have got a long yoga practice and to notice how your mind and mental state has changed through practising that yoga for a long period of time. Yeah, That that just, you know, you can't get that over in a teach training. No. <laughs> you know, you, it needs to be experiential, doesn't it? And it needs to be yeah. something that, you know, only... only only you can have that experience with and only you will know what's changed
1: exactly and look shit still happens but you just tend oh, to become way more resilient you know you just um react to things absolutely differently we still we still react but we react differently so yeah yeah absolutely it doesn't it doesn't
0: stop our, 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 my, my thing is I would say you know the practice doesn't stop you being human it just enables you to be human with more kindness
1: yeah <laughs> kindness more compassion
0: yeah, yeah. Like I think the 100%. idea of um, trying to use a practice to get away from yourself, you know, the speaking of getting awakened and all this kind of stuff, it's kind of deeply misunderstood. Like We are in a human body having a human experience. And surely our practice is there to enhance that experience rather than take us away from it and remove us from, yeah. from that and our sense of connection to each other, at least in my, in my mind, I would say. Yeah,
1: that's great. You know, we all have different ideas of what the practice is about and that's completely fine and it's just about continuing to look at that and again allow that to inform how we practice and how we teach you know at the end of the day
0: Andrew how we're coming to the end of our time I'm mindful of your time and you've got books to write I'm sure uh-huh. <laughs> See, See, um, <laughs> we 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 always ask our um our guests what is they do to take care of themselves you know what is your your self-care routine yeah.
1: well look other than RuPaul's Drag Race
0: <laughs> um
1: I you know try to have quality time with loved ones friends and family is really important um I have a regular um yoga practice which you know looks very different to what it was when I was younger uh, very much floor based like super gentle super slow um, I love it um I do a lot of breath work um I do have like there's a lot of things in my toolbox so I have I do um trauma release exercises quite often uh, I've just bought an exercise bike that I love I love hiking nature being outside is like super important for me um Food is important. I love cooking for myself. It feels super nurturing. Um, a lot of rest. Uh, I love reading a good book. Um, what else do I do to take care of myself? And also just, you know, as you've just said, like about cultivating compassion for myself. So just try not to like, give myself a hard time about stuff. And a lot of that has to be just like having a word with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, like continuing to just check in and go. Oh no, there's that unhelpful kind of thought pattern again, where I'm comparing myself to other people. Look, and what I will say is the the biggest thing that affects my well being is social media. Wow. <laughs> so it's massively limiting the amount of time that I spend scrolling. Is the pro? I would say actually, over out of all those things, whether what whether all so wonderful what I've just listed, it's like when i'm in a space where i can limit how much time i unconsciously scroll
2: Mm.
1: that is the biggest thing that affects my well-being so if you haven't and i was very late to the game if you haven't watched the social dilemma you know for the listeners you need to listen to that like it will definitely change the way you look at social media
0: that was terrifying
1: yeah yeah And it's good, and it's you know, and it's, I think it's good to be terrified by because then then yeah. change happens on a personal level. <laughs> yeah. no, my my husband came off of everything
2: while watching it. He was just uh, I'm not engaging with it anymore in any any way, shape or form. You know, he was. He loved an argument on Twitter with, you know, some (laughs) turf around, you know, trans rights. You know, that was (laughs) because you're you're definitely going to change someone's opinion (laughs) over Twitter, aren't you? You know, know, that that was his idea of of a Friday night in, you know, but yeah, he's put a stop to it. And actually, it's really interesting because I go, I'm sometimes like, oh, have you seen this? And I think now you haven't seen it because you've got no idea what's going on anymore in that whole world, you know, and you seem very happy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's something we've talked about, isn't it, Dawn, about, you know, doing less social media, but it just seems very, it seems very difficult when you're trying to run a business. And that's the way many people interact with you, you know, so you're kind of stuck, aren't you, in that catch-22. But I think if it's I the
1: scrolling, you know, this, like, mindless scrolling that has yeah. such an impact on us.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think if we didn't have the studio, I would get rid of all my social media completely.
1: Yeah, me too. If I didn't have my kind of business, I wouldn't use it. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a personal, you know, Facebook and Instagram thing I literally never use. And, you know, so I... And then I'll have my work stuff, and that's the only thing. But I think it's all... Like, I, ha- I have my apps in a little uh, folder on my phone and and it says use wisely (laughs) when I go in, because it's just, it's just about being mindful. Yeah. Being like going into that with intent, with clear intent. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And not getting like swept away in like a rabbit hole or something.
2: Yeah. I've found, I, I, I've moved all my social stuff to, I've kind of scrolled it away. So I have to, you know, it takes an effort to get to it. It isn't right in front of me. First click. So, you know, it takes a few folders to get to it. And actually, I've, I've found that's reduced my usage because actually before it would be the first thing that pops up. Yeah. And it just, you know, you just find yourself just getting sucked into that world of, you know, stuff exactly. that actually isn't that relevant.
1: Yeah, and we, we're we not allowed to have our phones in our bedroom. And also, often I'll go and put my phone away in a drawer or something. So it has, so yeah. it's a real conscious act, you know, to go yeah. and retrieve it. So I think that's my number one tip. Yeah. Oh, Andrew, it's been
2: great having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for Oh, my God, it's sharing. been so lovely to
1: speak to you both. Um, I feel like I'm catching up with two old friends. You know, not that you're old, but you know what I mean, two friends that I've had <laughs> for a long time. So I'd love to come back on at some point soon, you know, and we can maybe just talk more about life. General, yeah,
2: absolutely. I'm sure we could do a whole series about drug race probably as well. Yeah. <laughs> There's enough to unpack exactly. there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um thank you so much, Andrew. I think we've lost dawn. Um I don't we've know what's lost. happened. Dawn's but she bored. Was, she, yeah, she's enough. she switched us off. So I think he has gone off probably... to
1: check her Instagram, I think. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but no, it's been an
2: absolute pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to, to reading both of your books. Um and look forwards as well to you know seeing what you start to produce once these are out in the public because it must be quite scary putting that stuff that you've worked so yeah, hard on out problems. there and yeah it'd be interesting to see what, what what projects you come up with next so well,
1: thank you so much and I'm looking forward to coming and visiting your gorgeous studio at some point I know when well, we can travel
2: one day yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be long <laughs> well thank you so much Andrew it's been a real pleasure um night, for those Andrew. that are um interested um we'll be posting up andrew's information when we send out the podcast how you can contact him um bearing in mind he'll be limited on his use of social media so (laughs) and and just where you can buy the book and subscribe to the courses as well Um, if you enjoyed the podcast today then please do um join us on apple to leave a review or give us a rating if there's anything that you didn't like, let us know. We're really happy to take feedback. And if there's anyone that you feel you would like us to interview, then we're really happy to hear what you have to say about that. So Dawn's just joined us, so we're just saying goodbye, Dawn.
0: <laughs> Thanks, well, Zoom decided I'd said quite enough. For one you had minute.
2: enough. We said you'd gone to check your Instagram.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was just on, off to do a status update. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, until next time, everyone. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Dawn, for being here. Wish you well. Bye. Bye. Bye.